The year was 2010, and Jack brought up this very interesting question which got us talking about emotions. He had been married for over 10 years, and his marriage had had its difficulties. He had been arguing with his wife, and he wanted to know if his marriage was something positive in his life or something negative. That, he said, would allow him to decide if he should keep it or leave it. I am Dr. Rajiv Parinja. Welcome back to Brain Politics. The subject of this episode is our brain's emotional system. This is the Duke of the Kingdom. The Duke is not only ancient, he is still very powerful. It would seem like he ran the realm for a very long time as the ultimate authority in the kingdom. Knowing the rules by which dukes play helps us navigate our own emotions as well as emotionally laden situations with other people. And there are a few vital life lessons that can be drawn from the knowledge of the Duke. I like to imagine the Duke as wearing a Viking helmet with two horns. The horns remind me that the emotional system lives in an area of the brain called the limbic system, which has two horns sort of coming out somewhere in the middle of the brain. Let's go with Jack into one of his dreams that points us to the reason that emotions came into existence during the process of evolution. In his dream, Jack is taking a walk in the woods and he encounters a monkey. He has seen this monkey before. He thinks that the monkey should eat something and then the monkey sees a banana. Jack remembers that the monkey had eaten the banana in the past. The monkey starts moving towards the banana, but he pauses before he reaches it. Jack looks to see why the monkey stopped, and he sees that a second monkey has appeared. It seems like the second monkey also wants the banana. The second monkey sees the first monkey, and he also pauses and then it looks like everything is frozen. And in his dream, Jack realizes that he is on a spaceship. The spaceship is actually the entire Earth. It is hurtling through the solar system at tremendous speed, and Jack is feeling a little scared. He didn't want to be on a spaceship. And then Jack's attention wanders back to the frozen scene in which there are two monkeys and one banana. Jack thinks he is in the movie Apollo 13, and he says, Houston, we have a problem. This is Houston. What's the problem? A voice replies. Jack is struggling to define the problem. Well, he says, it started with a monkey that I have seen before. What happened when you saw the monkey before? Asks Houston. Well, I was worried about the monkey not getting food, but the monkey found a banana. He seemed to want the banana, and he liked the banana. I also know that the monkey can learn where the bananas are as he explores the forest. The voice from Houston replies. So that means that his reward system is working fine. Jack remembers the reward system, the treasurer of the brain. 
Yes, I think the monkey's reward system was working fine. He was actually moving towards the banana when everything froze. I think it was triggered by him seeing a second monkey. Neither of the monkeys seemed to know what to do. There must be a system to determine what happens in this situation. There should be an algorithm. Yes, we do have a program for that, Houston replies. Let me pass it over. A few minutes later, the scene seems to unfreeze. The first monkey moves and appears to show some aggressive gestures. He seems to be communicating his intention of getting the banana and not letting the second monkey have it. The second monkey does not take that well. He stands up and gets ready to pounce. He shows his intention of being more aggressive. The first monkey seems to find this a little scary. He cowers down. He shows submissive behavior and averts his gaze. He backs away and the second monkey takes the banana. Jack is intrigued. He's intrigued that there is a system that allows monkeys to know what to do when faced with a problem like this. He wakes up in the morning thinking about the dream and wondering if humans also have some algorithms just like the monkeys. When Jack brought up the subject of his marriage, he wanted to know if overall the marriage had been a good thing or a bad thing. He said that he would want to get out of his marriage if he could be confident that the marriage had been a bad thing overall in his life. This was quite difficult for him because at the time that he had been arguing with his wife, he felt pretty confident that it was a really bad thing which he wanted to get rid of. But at other times when things were going well, it really seemed like a great thing in his life. He told me that he would like to find a way to compute all of the time that his marriage had had an impact on his life. All the time he spent together with his wife, all the things she'd done for him, all the things he'd done for her, all the time he had been angry or upset with her, all the time that he had been thinking about her, and all the good times they had spent together. What you're asking, I told him, is that you want to be able to download all the data into a computer of some kind and subtract all the bad time from all the good time and see if you're left with a positive value or a negative value. Exactly, he said. There's got to be a way to arrive at an objective measure. Our brains don't work like that, I told him. In computers, the data is stored in a way that it can be retrieved any number of times without changing it. The age of the data doesn't really matter. Computers do have a system where the more recently used files are kept in the memory and are more readily accessible. In our brains, our memories are tagged with emotions. I think you will find that your emotional state will greatly influence what events you can recall. You will find it hard to remember the things that are not in keeping with the emotions that you're feeling at that time. Jack wanted to understand emotions a little better. To understand emotions, I told him, we can look at lions. Lions are my absolute favorite animal. When I tell people this, they often think it is because the lions are the kings of the jungle. That is not the real reason. I love lions because they are incredibly lazy. I dream of living the lifestyle of a lion where they can sleep for 18 hours a day. I was once applying for a job and they say, where are you going to be in five years from now? 
and I told them I'm going to be living like a lion. They asked me what it means, and I said, well, you know, sleeping 18 hours a day, not doing very much. And they recommended I apply to the competing hospital in the neighborhood. Lions live in groups called prides. The pride of lions control the territory. They don't allow other lions to come into the territory. The groups are led by one or more powerful lions. Every so often, the leader of the group will be challenged by another lion, who may even be the lion's own son. This triggers the lion to respond in a peculiar way. They roar loudly. They are so loud that they can be heard five miles away. They bare their teeth and their muscles are all tensed, ready for a fight. They try to intimidate the challenger into backing down. Their claws are clenched. And if the challenger doesn't back down, they fight. They bring all their majesty, their ferocity and their strength into that fight. Their physiology, which includes their heart rate, the blood pressure, and their psychology, which includes the urge to act, are optimized to respond to this situation. This is important to maximize their chances of winning the fight because losing the fight would mean leaving the territory. If they left the territory, they could go without food for several days, and this can be a death sentence. Now, I'm not sure that the lions necessarily know this or are thinking about this when they go into a fight. They just have brains that are adapted to respond to this situation in this peculiar way. We can take this analogy further and see that the lion is going through life with a tendency to really pay attention to any clues that an aggressor may be around. This is not by choice. This is just how the brain prioritizes information. If he sees another lion intruding on his territory, the lion's reaction, which is a little bit like anger, is triggered. This kind of adaptation exists across the animal kingdom, and we humans have it too. We find ourselves reacting just like the lion, raising our voice, tensing our muscles, clenching our fists, gritting our teeth when challenged. Here, the duke, the limbic system, which is a part of the brain devoted to emotions, is making us alert, focused, aggressive, and wanting to act in a way where the person who is challenging us feels threatened and intimidated into backing down so we can keep whatever it is that we think of as our reward. To illustrate this, let's take an event from Jack's married life. Jack comes home one evening hoping to go with his wife to a work party. He wants to be on time because he likes to make a good impression by not being late and he likes to wake up early in the mornings to work out and watch the news. Those are the rewards in play here. His wife is taking long to get ready. He begins to feel annoyed with his wife for being late. As his anger builds up, he gets a little loud as he calls out to her. Honey, can you hurry up? His muscles are tensing up. He's clenching his teeth more and he's putting his hands in an angry gesture like he's ready to use his claws. As he tells her to hurry up, he can recall a number of other times she has been late, including one occasion where he almost didn't make it in time for his best friend's wedding. These thoughts are coming in quick succession and he's getting more and more worked up. His voice gets louder as he calls out to her to hurry up and his attention turns to the future. 
he sees a life of utter misery living with a woman who can never be on time who never seems to care about what he wants his anger makes him want to deal with this issue aggressively his brain produces a number of ideas which he could use to tackle the problem he could give her an ultimatum this is the last time you're going to be late or there are going to be consequences he could leave her if she doesn't start being on time he would tell her mother her sister and her best friend about her habit of running late all of these scenarios are in his imagination his brain is testing them out in his imagination and assigning reward values to them he even thinks of hiring a divorce lawyer to write her a legal letter saying that he would divorce her if she is not on time in each of them he can imagine his wife being defeated seeing her defeated is very rewarding to him when he's angry at this time Jack's emotional state is preventing him from accessing memories of his wife where she was nice such as the surprise birthday party she threw for him or the money she saved so that he could put down a deposit for his bike it is as if his memory is under the control of his emotions emotions can be divided into those with a positive balance such as happiness or negative balance which are unpleasant such as anger negative emotions can still stimulate our reward system by making us fantasize about rewarding outcomes in anger we want to humiliate and defeat our opponent completely and utterly and imagining that can be rewarding there are many other negative emotions which also have a physiological component a feeling component and an action tendency associated with them two common negative emotions other than anger are fear and sadness fear is highly motivating it comes with a strong urge to get away from whatever it is that is making you fearful it is also very physiologically activating you might feel your heart pumping and get butterflies in your stomach sadness is a little different it is a demotivating emotion when you are sad you don't really feel like doing anything it is also not very physiologically activating you can switch from one negative emotion to another or they can occur together sadness can combine with fear fear and anger can alternate and lead from one to the other there are other negative emotions like guilt and jealousy which come with their own urges and action tendencies when you are jealous you want to act to compensate for whatever it is that is making you jealous you might want to improve yourself or sometimes harm the other person or take away their assets some emotions are internally directed anger can be internally directed guilt is one internally directed emotion when you're guilty you ruminate about what you did or didn't do that made you feel guilty you feel the urge to do the opposite this can be helpful because if you encounter a similar situation you would do it differently we don't like to experience negative emotions and often act in ways to avoid them on one occasion Jack took a ride with one of his friends in the friend's car. This guy drove pretty fast and recklessly. 
It made Jack feel scared. He decided never to take a ride with this guy again. This emotionally charged memory is easy for Jack to remember. He would not have to write it down like a shopping list so he didn't forget it. The next time he had the opportunity to get in the car with this guy, he would just feel it and know that he didn't want to do it. I want to bring up some peculiarities of the emotional system. This is a very primitive and very fast system. There is often no logic to it. To study emotions in brain scanners, researchers show people the pictures of faces with emotional expressions. If a research subject is lying in a brain scanner and sees the picture of a frowning face, their limbic system, the area devoted to emotions, lights up. The scanner is detecting the increased utilization of oxygen. Of course, there is no real person frowning at them. The person in the picture has never met the person in the scanner and doesn't even know of their existence. It makes no logical sense to respond to the picture with an emotional reaction, but that is exactly what happens. Seeing someone have an emotional reaction makes us have an emotional reaction. It is impossible to be around someone who is having an intense emotional reaction and not have an emotional response yourself. If you see someone being angry, you will either feel scared or angry with them for being angry. Sometimes you might feel sad and sorry for them. In one very interesting experiment, researchers changed the pictures on a screen when their subjects were lying in a scanner so fast that 80% of the subjects did not know that the picture had changed. So if the picture was flipped in 33 milliseconds, that is a little more than three hundredths of a second, the majority of people would not be able to tell that the picture had changed. And yet, every one of them had an emotional reaction because there was increased activity in their emotional system in the scanner. This, in my mind, is brutal and vital and brilliant and very important. It's important because it means that we have an emotional reaction even before we know or understand what caused it. This means that it makes no sense to say to yourself or anybody else, you should not have felt that way. There's nothing you can do to stop yourself from beginning to feel what you're going to feel. Now that doesn't mean that what you're feeling is right. This is just the brain's stock response. As soon as we know that we have an emotional response, we have the option of modulating it and adjusting it. And that always starts by first validating it. We learn to have emotional reactions early in our childhood from the people around us. Most of this is learned from our parents. 
We may not like the negative emotional reactions our parents have, and yet we learn to have the same reactions ourselves. I've heard it said that our children will dislike the same things about us that we dislike about our parents. And that seems so counterintuitive, but it is true. People who have experienced harsh, overly critical and abrasive parenting often experience negative emotions triggered by stressful events. These emotions often tend to be internally directed with negative self-talk, self-loathing and self-criticism. They may find it hard to be compassionate and forgiving of themselves. Emotions are transmitted to other people very quickly and engage their emotional systems immediately. You may have heard that a lot of communication is nonverbal. Often when communicating, we are looking at people's faces and their expressions convey their emotions. You can't look at my face in a podcast, but I will try and demonstrate how the tone of the voice can communicate emotion even when the words don't change. I am going to ask a junior colleague to pass me a file. Could you do me a favor and pass me the file? Thank you. This is polite, respectful. Could you do me a favor and pass me that file? Thank you. You can see that there is some contempt in my voice. I'm almost implying that they should have already known to pass me the file. Could you do me a favor and pass me the file? Thank you. My dominance and anger at them is coming through in this tone. Here, the words didn't change and you did not see my face, but you can immediately ascertain the emotion I am feeling. And if you were at the receiving end of my request, you would inevitably have an emotional response. If you're feeling a negative emotion, it can greatly influence your appraisal of ordinary events, which you see through the lens of that emotion. And to illustrate this, I'm going to take two events from Jack's life. One afternoon, Jack was throwing a barbecue party for his friends in his backyard. Music was playing, it was a beautiful sunny day. His backyard was small, but had a few trees right at the very end. He heard a twig crack in the woods. He was going to turn and look, but his friend called him and he started to talk to his friend. He forgot all about the twig. It did not seem to engage his emotional system at all. A few days later, Jack was alone at home. It was late in the evening. He had been watching a crime thriller which had left him a little anxious. There was a warning for a thunderstorm. There was a loud thunderclap which left Jack a little shaken. After that, it was eerily quiet. It was the calm before the storm. Jack stepped out into his backyard to look at the sky when he heard a twig crack. He felt that someone was there a possible intruder, someone who was out to break into his house or hurt him. Jack went inside and sat down, looking out into his backyard. In his next session, he told me that after a while of feeling anxious, he started to think about what time an intruder would choose to break into somebody's house. 
It occurred to him that a stormy night with lots of lightning is not likely to be a good time for an intruder to break into somebody's house because they would be seen when the lightning flashed. The rain would also make it unpleasant to be outside. They would be drenched in the rain and then they would leave muddy footprints everywhere. People are also more likely to be looking out of their windows on stormy nights. People are more likely to be staying at home rather than going out on a stormy night. On balance, Jack felt that a stormy night was the one night that an intruder would avoid breaking into somebody's house. But that is not what he had been feeling at the time that his anxiety was high. We discussed how the same sound of a breaking twig produced a very different appraisal based on Jack's emotional state. On the afternoon of the barbecue, he had forgotten about it even before he checked it, but on the stormy evening when he was alone, his mind had gone to one of the most dangerous explanations and almost assumed that that explanation was true. One of the leading thinkers in the field of evolutionary psychology and evolutionary medicine is Randy Nessie. He describes emotions as having similarities to the fire alarm. Emotions are triggered even when the likelihood of the trigger being a real threat is low. If you hear the leaves rustling in the jungle, you would want to run even though the likelihood of a predator attacking you is low. The cost of running many times, even when there is no predator, is low compared to the cost of risking your life on the one occasion that there really was a predator. This leads us to one of the important life lessons related to emotions. If you were in a large building and the fire alarm went off, you have a range of options. On one end of the spectrum, you could choose to ignore it completely and go about your business as if nothing had happened. This, of course, is a bad idea. At the other end of the spectrum, you can assume that you would die if you didn't immediately smash the nearest window and jump out. This is also a bad idea. It is a bad idea to ignore your emotions because they may be telling you and warning you about something wrong that you haven't fully grasped. This tends not to be a problem because most people actually take their emotions very seriously. The problem arises when people believe everything they feel. We are designed to do that. There is a very interesting but rare mental health condition called Capgras syndrome. This is a misidentification syndrome. A person afflicted with this condition might see somebody that they recognize but they just don't feel the emotion associated with this person. As an example, a woman might see her husband, recognize him as the husband, but just not feel the emotion. The logical conclusion she might arrive at is that the person who looks like her husband is an imposter. When you ask this woman, does this person look any different from your husband? She'll tell you, no, no. He's absolutely 100% like my husband, but I know he's an imposter. In another syndrome called Frigoli syndrome, the patient sees somebody who does not look anything like a relative, but 
they get the same emotional reaction they would when they saw this relative. They conclude that the person they are seeing is the relative, even though that person looks nothing like their relative. These are rare conditions, but I bring them up to illustrate the level of influence our emotions have on our understanding of reality. We are always viewing reality through an emotional lens. The stronger the emotion, the more skewed your perception of reality may be. Emotions can continue to have a hold on us even when we have moved on from the situation that triggered them. If Jack were to come home from work one day feeling quite angry with some of the issues at work, he might continue to feel angry and react angrily towards his wife and children. The important life lesson is that you should be aware that everything that you feel is not true. This is especially the case when you are experiencing a strong emotion. You must never dismiss your own emotions or anyone else's. It makes no sense to do that because emotions arise automatically even before we know what caused them. It makes no sense to say to yourself or anyone else that they should not have felt what they felt. Dismissing emotions produces further emotional responses like anger, guilt or fear. I ask people to be curious about their own emotions and other people's emotions. Be gentle with emotions. Be validating of emotions. We are responsible for our actions. We are also responsible for regulating our emotions and trying to see through the altered landscape of reality created by emotions. But I don't know of a way where we can stop beginning to feel what we are feeling. In our next episode, we will discuss some emotions with a positive balance, such as happiness. We will talk about emotional regulation and we will also discuss communication in the context of emotions in a future episode. If you have questions or comments, please go to wgte.org slash brainpolitics. I am Dr. Rajiv Parinja. I am your host and producer. Our executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer. This is Brain Politics. I hope you will join me for the next episode. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.